First, let me just soak in this moment because it has been quite a long time since I've been able to come up here and give the word of God and see this many faces. Um, truly, we are, we are blessed people. We are starting a new series today. This is going to be a four-week series. Uh, this is titled The Foundation Series. Today, uh, we are going to look at what I think is the cornerstone of all four of these, which is love. And these other foundations that we're going to look at are going to help us to see exactly what it is to be a true disciple of Christ, how to live a life chasing after God. As we saw in today's scripture, Jesus made it very clear to his disciples, right? This is my new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. When preparing this sermon, the first question that came to mind is, if I'm to love like Jesus, then how did Jesus love me? What is love? By definition, love is an intense feeling of deep affection, or it is to like or enjoy someone or something very much. I'll be honest in saying that I like and enjoy all of you very much. Now you know that I love you. There you go. If you didn't know, now you know. But is this enough? Is it enough just to tell someone that you love them? Is it enough just to feel the warm feelings for your friends? Or does it require more? In Luke 22, Jesus hears the disciples arguing amongst themselves, who is the greatest among them? And he uses this not as a moment to rebuke, but as a moment to teach. He says to them, that in the world, that kings and great men lord it over their people. But with them, it would be different. That to be the greatest among them, they will take the lowest rank as a servant. And he reminds them that he himself has come to serve. In John 13, we find that Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And after he says to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you should do as I did to you. In these verses, we see that Jesus' love is action. And it is an example of how we should love. We just had the Holy, Holy Week, rather, which leads us to Jesus' arrest, death, and resurrection. One of the greatest teachings which came from that is greater love has no one than this than to lay down his own life for his friends. So let's take a look at how Jesus loved, how Jesus served. In Matthew 8, we all know this story very well. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. It says that large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy 
disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. See, Jesus serves with compassion. This man with leprosy would have been overlooked. He would have been ignored. He would have been deemed unclean. So the leaders of the religious law would have had nothing to do with this man. And yet they're the ones who are supposed to be able to heal. They're the ones who are supposed to be able to serve the people. Jesus looks past this. He looks past what the crowd would think of him, what they would say about him. His heart stirs for this man's pain, for the discomfort that he is enduring. And I love that when he says, I am willing. I am willing. Yeah. Exactly. If we go on to look in uh, John chapter 4, we see Jesus has a beautiful encounter with a Samaritan woman. Now we already know, those of us who are studying up on the Bible, that Samaritans... Not the most popular group of people, right? We know about the Good Samaritan who helped the man that was on laying dead in the street, well, dying in the street, rather, and he helped him, right? And in that story, Jesus says, well, he confronts the Pharisees and they say, who is your neighbor? And they can't, in their pride, they can't even say the Samaritan. But he comes upon a woman at the well and he says, it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well, about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Does anyone know why this Samaritan woman was coming out at noontime to draw water? This was actually against custom, against the norm. The reason she did this is because of her sins. The community around her was gossiping about her and slandering her name, for they knew what she was doing. So she would often go by herself to avoid any controversy or to avoid feeling the shame that she felt. Now here she is speaking to Jesus, King of Kings, and most certainly a Jew in rights. 
It goes on to say, Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke with truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at the mountain where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is the Spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here we see that Jesus is willing to serve without bias. This goes against every standard for Jesus and the cultural norms of that day. When Jesus looks at his people, again, he sees the heart. He sees the heart of the issue, and his heart is stirred. Finally, in John 9, Jesus heals the blind man. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Imagine that if you were blind, if you were unable to hear, if you had any form of or any sort of deformity, to have people look at you and go, was it your doing or did your parents do something wrong to make you this way? That would probably be one of the most painful feelings that you could ever endure. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told him, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. 
Later on, we know that the Pharisees had some things to say about this. They took the man who was blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed them. Healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes, and when I was washed away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Hmm. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? To call Jesus a sinner. Interesting. So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind, and now I can see. Jesus healed when it was the right thing to do. He served his people when it was the right thing to do. Jesus served not to gain fame and glory with those around him. He did not seek the approval of man, for he knew that to serve means sometimes you got to go against the grain. To serve sometimes means you have to get uncomfortable, and you have to step out of what you think is safe. Preparing for this sermon brought up a lot of thoughts for me. Jesus showed compassion to me when I was yet a sinner. When I was still in active addiction, when I was stealing, lying, fending for myself, running from the truth, hiding. He showed compassion to me when I was at my lowest point. And he pulled me out of the pit. He did it without bias. As an addict, most, most of the world looks at you like you're lower than low. There's nothing for you to offer. You're only going to take from us. You're only going to hurt me. But Jesus stepped out of that and said, no, you're more than that. And I want to show you that you're more than that. And he did it because it was the right thing to do. Because Jesus can't deny himself. I would never, ever have thought I'd be here in this capacity in all my days, giving the word of God. But God saw past all of my issues, all of my sins, 
and he didn't put the blame on me. And I don't put the blame on anyone who went before me. My choices were my own. But I am still loved through all of that. And so are you. So when Jesus says that we should wash the feet of one another, when Jesus says that in order to be great, we should take the lowest rank as a servant, when Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow, do as I do. Serve. Serve. Out of the overflow of your heart, And there's many more things, examples we could look at how generous Jesus was, how gracious he is. Slow to anger, quick to listen. Jesus was the greatest listener of all time. I also thought of my mom quite a bit. I don't know if I've told many of you any of my story or much of my story. But when I think of a real-life example of someone who loves like Jesus, I think of my mom. My mom raised myself and three other boys with no child support for nine years. I would not have blamed her had she given some of us up for adoption. It may have caused some hard feelings, but I could have understood. I didn't notice it as a child, but I notice now all the hours she spent going to college, getting her degree, working two jobs, tirelessly. And in all of that, she still found time to take us to the soup kitchen and serve others. She still found time to spend time with each of us individually, to feed into the passions that we had, to help stir up new excitement. She never missed a Christmas or a birthday. We never went without. I also think of my dad, who when my mom was dying, he gave his all to her. He put every one of her needs above himself. Through the hours of hospice, through the days in the hospital when she had to go and get chemo, Are they perfect people? No. But they showed me what true love is. They were role models and examples of how Christ loves us. To constantly put others over self, to seek the salvation of those around us rather than our own. Today we had a lot of examples. The songs were wonderful. Yes, we know Jesus loves us but a commandment he has given to us that we love one another as he has loved us. Today we've seen a few examples of how Jesus loves us. So I don't know where we're at today. I don't know what Jesus is calling you to, but I know whatever he's calling you to do, he's calling you to do it in love. We all know 1 Corinthians 13. There's a multitude of things that we could do. We can speak all the languages. We could live a life of faith. But if we do any of this without love, it is worthless. So today I encourage you, if you need time to come to the altar, to talk to God for a little bit and figure out what it is he's calling you to do. If you need to ask him, Lord, how do I love a little bit deeper? 
Now is the time. One other thing before we do depart. An excellent way that we can love one another is to pray for one another. Today I would ask you to pray for the Murphy family. Phil's brother is in the hospital. We're not sure exactly what is happening. But it's never a, never a good thing. So I ask that you would lift them up in prayer today. If you want to come to the altar or stay in your seat, that's more than fine. But we should be praying for one another. Let us end in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, I don't know if we could talk about this enough, of how much you love us. Lord, your love surpasses any of our understanding. You never get tired of us. You never could love us more than you love us at this very moment. Even when we push against, we run away, we turn away. You still seek after us, like it says in the song, reckless love. There's no distance you would go or wouldn't go to find us and be with us. Father, as we leave today, I pray that as we encounter those around us, as we see lost souls, Lord, that our heart would be stirred into action like your son's was, and we would do whatever we could to listen, to serve with compassion, to serve without bias, and to serve because we know it's the right thing to do. Lord, I pray that you would bolster us up to, to not be afraid to step outside of our comfort zone and reach those that are so desperate for a listening ear and an extended hand. Lord, I pray that we would just be able to focus and remember how you loved us. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.